Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You are listening to one of our return slot episodes uh, where we do a deep dive on a specific movie. Um, you're going to hear, uh, you probably already heard a couple this year, and uh, we'll be doing a couple more uh, of movies from the 1990s. And tonight we're going to go ahead and discuss Terminator 2 Judgment Day from 1991. It is directed by James Cameron. It is also written by James Cameron and William Wisher. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T-800, Eddie Furlong as John Connor, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Robert Patrick as the T-1000, and Joe Morden as Miles Dyson. Uh, has 93% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 95% from audiences. Uh, the movie picks up uh, about 11 years after the original Terminator movie from 1984. It finds uh, Sarah Connor institutionalized, uh, John Connor in foster care. As a uh, two more uh, two Terminators have been sent back uh, from the future. Uh, this time, though, the roles are reversed, where the Schwarzenegger character is the hero, uh, the good um, Terminator, and Robert Patrick is the new upgraded, um, made of liquid metal T one thousand model. Um, <clears throat> so, most people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, have probably seen Terminator 2 at some point in their life. If you haven't, again, the idea of these episodes, we're going to talk about this movie in depth. So if you haven't seen it, I'd go watch it probably before you listen, honestly. Free um, on HBO Max. Yes, free on HBO Max. Well, um, I guess that's and, not and, free, but streaming on HBO Max. Yeah, but uh, and it has been for a while, so it looks like it's probably going to be up for quite a while. Oh, it's Warner Brothers, right? Is that right? the production history of these two movies is so damn complex like um people like almost getting in physical fights over rights and like schemes and machinations it's 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 pretty wild um it's tristar tristar yeah Yeah. which who knows how who owns tristar now like or bought all their shit i mean it's very possible so this movie frank um you saw this in the theater right yep yeah um, so did I. Um, so how did you feel uh, trying to reimagine your teenage self? Um, how did you feel about Terminator before this came out, the original movie? And um, uh, how excited were you for this movie's release? I was a pretty big fan of Terminator, I guess, when this came out. Um, I had seen the first movie at least once and maybe twice. Um, I was a very big, like, mature sci-fi fan by the early 90s, um, so really into Predator, really into uh, Aliens, um, those two particularly, but I really like Blade Runner and Robocop, um, and Terminator kind of fit that same mold, so um, I wouldn't say that I was, like, amazingly excited to see this movie, but I wanted to see it. Yeah. Um. Terminator, honestly, was, now that I think about it, was uh, one of the Larry Gasberry movies. Um, he would watch it whenever it was on. So I, I saw Terminator a lot growing up. And um, so I I don't know what movie it was that I saw it, but um, I, I saw the teaser trailer um, for this uh, 
where it's like the creation of a terminator or like you know showing the conveyor belts and so forth uh which i i just found out during research for this is that stan winston actually directed that teaser trailer um cameron asked him um to do it without any early footage and gave him a budget of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to create the trailer and uh he just wanted to make sure that it was obvious that arnold schwarzenegger was in the movie and that was mm. like the only requirement um but yeah i remember seeing that way in advance um and it was released like a year beforehand um and i remember that actually making me like really excited because it didn't give away anything but it's like oh shit this is coming um uh do you remember do you remember that trailer um i did not remember it until i just watched it before we started the podcast yeah um and then as soon as i saw it I i remembered it i remember it more from like when the eyes turn on when the terminator's like skull turns around and then Mm -hmm. they push him into the you know what do they call it like cyborg flesh engineering or whatever right yeah and the other kind of thing that came out before this movie right was um the guns and roses video yeah you could be mine i think was maybe that may or something because this movie came out in june right june of 91 yeah um i i think you could be mine was the end of that year like that school year whenever use your illusion came out but yeah i definitely remember the um the pretty iconic guns and roses video oh Ju- what just almost there july 1 frank july 1 of 1991 um oh. is when it came out <clears throat> um behind the curtain here um whenever this is released we were recording this on july 1 um of 2022 yeah. um <clears throat> i forgot what day so. it was <laughs> so a long week. literally 31 years ago let um, me bring something uh, up though about so i was going to bring this up later in like kind of the ephemera portion of our podcast but mm-hmm. um i find it interesting that one of the the major key parts of the chorus of this song is the your bitch slap rapping in your cocaine tongue Mm-hmm. um and when you hear this song in the movie because this is i think maybe the only like licensed music that's in the movie that's not the score yeah. um it's when furlong and the kid from salute your shorts are riding away on furlong's um dirt bike right. and i think it's funny that like i mean obviously it's, there's some racist connotations too and axel Roy is kind of a racist guy anyway um but some racist connotations to the bitch slap rapping and cocaine tongue thing mm-hmm. and furlong is wearing a public enemy shirt the whole time so i never noticed that before and like i i saw it and i was like is he wearing a public enemy shirt and i was thinking it's kind of ironic that you have this lyric that's like kind of the antithesis of what public enemy represented um playing yeah. over you know him riding away on his right his dirt bike yeah yeah th- there is only one other song um it's a dwight yokum song at the beginning and oh in the bar right yep, yep. yeah okay i forgot um, about that but yeah interestingly enough the uh the co-writer on this wisher um wanted to use um band to the bone in like in the um uh in the um oh they uh, do play they, isn't there another song that's played then is there a oh, fuck there's yeah, there's something else. There's like some fight later where they play a song that's completely um yeah. Um, but yeah, the the I, I don't think it's I don't know if like younger people could like imagine like, you know, 
how that added to some of the excitement of this movie um because mtv was still definitely definitely like mostly music videos um and people were definitely turning on mtv to see like what was going on in terms of music and it was just playing throughout that entire summer um this video um also co-directed by stan winston um that shows like you know the t1 that uh the t800 like you know on our character like pursuing um uh through a club and stuff like that and it's just a the song was a hit you know and it's just another element of like kind of like this like weird like co-promotional advertising um that went on like leading up to the release of this movie yeah and really what you're looking at here is um it's funny because i i wouldn't call this the the first like summer blockbuster but this is like one of those movies that really reinvigorated the idea of the summer blockbuster mm-hmm. um and is like the death nail of death nail of hair metal too at the same time with this guns and roses album like usual right. illusion was incredibly popular but it's like right on released right on the cusp of um the grunge like explosion out of seattle so this is really like the end of you know that cock rock like hair metal era and more into like what we kind of came of came of age with which is grunge and alternative music and whatnot yeah no you're absolutely right yeah so i mean um yeah no it really is the end of an era in some ways um and you're right in terms of blockbuster i mean it made 520 million um which in today's money is um over a billion so i mean it's it was massively um popular and really this is I have to look this up. This is basically Cameron's last, like, major sci-fi epic, right? Before he makes Titanic. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I looked him up. In the- yeah, because True. No, no, he makes True Lies after this, right? But True Lies is more like an action. It's more of an action movie, yeah. action comedy, and then Titanic. Um. Yeah, it's the, it's the last movie that he that he makes that I actually like. <laughs> so, um. <clears throat> not a fan of true lies but um i don't even know some of these other ones but uh so when you saw this in the theater do you remember where you saw it at yeah so i actually saw this twice Mm -hmm. um i saw it the summer that it came out in um christiana at the um oh shit uh general cinemas uh four i think christiana was um and then we actually this movie played forever in the theaters like this is the era where like a movie would be at one theater and would be there for like two months and then it would leave but then it would come back um to like another like second run theater for like Mm -hmm. three or four months so i saw it in its initial run on um the largest screen at a general cinema's and then actually did a double feature one day at the Beards Hill Cinema. Hmm. Um, this and Father of the Bride. Um, when Father of the Bride came out in December. Fascinating. Of 91. Huh. That's um, that's some shit. Um, I actually like Father of the Bride. Overall, like, um, as cheesy as it is at times. Um, no, that's, that's, a, that's a funny double feature. Yeah, I can't remember if I saw it two or three times, but... Um, 
I know the first viewing, and this is very particular to this area, so I won't prolong it very much, but um, this is like during like when Elkton Movies 4, which was a theater that lasted, what do you say, eight years maybe? Something like that? Seven years? Something like that? Mm-hmm. Like down in Elkton? So it definitely was in 90, and I'm almost positive it lasted until 99. Mm. It went out of business. Okay. Because it stopped being a first run theater for a while, or yeah. after a while, it's ninety two. I think it didn't. It didn't last very long. I think in like ninety to like ninety two, it was like a first run. So this was during a time uh, when it was a first run. No, it was first run until like ninety four, ninety five. Because I saw Last of the Mohicans there first run, and I think that was what's that ninety? No, maybe that's only ninety two. Yeah, that's ninety two. Yeah, it didn't because by the time, well, I, know, I definitely know by the time ninety three. I can't. I I remember not getting new pictures anymore because you had to go up to Regal, like um, for the new pictures, and they were getting like you know things after maybe like a month or three months or something like that. Um, because I had to start going to Regal, but there was like a period for like a year and uh, like a year to two and a half years where it's like you could go to Elkton usually for the really big movies and see it. And I saw like T two like at Elkton Movies four on opening night. (laughs) Um uh on like the friday friday like 8 p.m or whatever 7 p.m showing yeah um packed theater like um i don't know how many seats you probably have a better idea of that than me you could probably estimate better like what that looked like in their big theater but um which theater was it in six or ten no no, no elton movies oh elton movies uh probably 400 seats yeah would be my guess yeah interesting um back for any kind of stadium seating or anything just flat floor seating um you actually get more seats than um standard uh, uh regular theater seating as opposed to stadium oh, sure. oh yeah like, yeah right how, how much do you estimate you lose 30 percent, 40 percent. yeah it's a lot yeah i think the trade-off's worth it but yeah i mean um it's um as a as a consumer um <clears throat> But yeah, so um, I was really excited about this, and I was, um, and I, I know I saw it at least one more time in Elton Movies Four, and I can't remember during that opening of Regal whether I feels like I might have saw it again up there um, when Regal opened um, during that initial. Remember they had some like old movies initially. And I'm trying to remember what was there. We saw Fisher King there, yeah, in that initial um, opening weekend of Regal. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, yeah, I was really excited about this, and when I first watched it, how, what was your initial take when you first watched it? I loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it was um, I mean, so first of all, like it's really hard unless you're our age and you saw this at the time it came out. It's really difficult to like talk about how innovative and amazing these special effects were. Really, it's it's you you brought this up last night um it's it's this and jurassic park were two movies that came out pretty pretty close to each other right isn't jurassic park like 91 or 92 93 i can't (coughs) terminator 2 was the first movie where like it all seems commonplace today but like that the liquid metal effect number one of the t1000 Mm -hmm. was absolutely mind-blowing in how realistic it looked and to the credit of james cameron and his like technical prowess is still moderately 
it's it's still good today like if them Mm -hmm. if if this movie came out today with the same special effects it would not be out of place or would not seem like i don't know it would be fine like in today's market um i was still like impressed with a lot of the stuff they did especially with patrick um where it doesn't look hokey and it doesn't look green screen or whatever um because you can go back and watch a lot of movies from around this time and there's definitely some i mean shit we watched lawnmower man for the spin chagrin um lawnmower man 2 and fucking terrible you know and that's Mm. like seven or eight years later so this movie was amazing at the time um there's a lot of stuff the thing I, i remember most about this movie and it's a really small um section of the film but it's um sarah connor's uh like daytime nightmare of the bombs going off and like Mm -hmm. everybody like melting and like burning i thought was an amazing visual and um really like horrifying depiction of like basically like uh, a nuclear holocaust um it wasn't until I saw this movie later in life, I think, that I kind of found some flaws in it um, and has sort of lessened, not necessarily my enjoyment of it, because, so I just watched this last night, um, so I would be fresh in my mind. Didn't really, It doesn't really lessen my enjoyment of it, because I still enjoyed watching this movie. I just don't necessarily hold it in as high of esteem as I might have, you know, even like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whenever the last time I saw it was. Sure. yeah and i think we're kind of in the same boat is like when i first saw it i loved it um and i still like this movie uh but i think uh re-watching it now 31 years later and i watched it a couple weeks ago but uh I, I, and took notes of like some of the things that like i still really like love a lot and then like things that like um i don't know like yeah our weaknesses i think that i didn't recognize when i was younger to some degree but i still really think that it holds up as a as a a good movie um still um particularly for like action sci-fi which i i think is um i mean i guess it's still a really popular genre but um we'll talk about that later i have a question for you but um so let's kind of get into the movie um and i just want to get one thing out and then i'm just gonna like turn it over to you but it's like i just the thing that blew me away watching this again i don't think i've watched this in 20 years um is how iconic like the first 30 minutes of this movie is like almost like everything about it is like has like there there's just all these elements that are like you know so either memed or like homages get paid to them like um or like people still talk about them to this day um so it's like arnold going into the bar um naked and like you know like beating up all the people in the bar and coming out with damn leather and then this getting the sunglasses and like riding off on the motorcycle like you know uh, and even like you know the cheap pop moments like it's almost like they knew when the um like when you saw through his eyes for the first time almost like how like a crowd was going to react um because i remember like you know kind of people like you know like almost like cheering like when that happened in the theater um when you saw through his eyes like 
you have that you have what you just mentioned like sarah's narration of like judgment day um like sticks in my mind like in this like haunting way of like her voiceover as she's like you know when they're showing the images and stuff like that of like you know how she imagines it um the you could be mine club scene yeah um the uncertainty and the way it all plays out with like the uncertainty about arnold's terminator because it's like you have to remember it's like unless you saw a trail like a longer trailer going into this movie it's like you didn't know who was who and because arnold's terminator was the bad guy in the first one you weren't quite sure what was going on completely in in this movie so there's like some uncertainty until um you find out for sure that like he's there like for protection um the 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 truck scene like you know down like you know oh uh, yeah Uh uh-huh into the reservoir yeah and then like all the stuff with sarah like in the institution like all leading up to her like you know scurrying backwards on the floor like you know away from the arnold terminator and like until like the fucking the most famous probably version of come with me if you want to live yeah um like everything in that first 30 minutes and that's roughly where like that ends there like all that build up um so many things that are absolutely still to this day like just to me fantastic like um well people still use like i'll be back and hasta la vista baby mm-hmm. as you know cultural you know, like a like a pop culture like referential way mm-hmm. um and this is really i i i think this is the movie that kind of spawned the catchphrase um mm. glut throughout the 90s because so many people like so many people like Leno and Carson and Letterman and Saturday Night Live were like, you know, and the people that you just like saw on a daily basis were saying like, I'll be back and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, then every movie had to have some sort of catchphrase. So, right. That they could right. play in the trailer so that sure. you would want to, I don't know, repeat it ad nauseum or get it on a t shirt. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, I'm trying to think of because like I'll be back like wasn't until this one right like that it really became popular even though he says it in the first one um I think this is the one that it's meme that it was meme from I don't right. remember hearing it like a huge amount before that although yeah. maybe even it, was, it could have right. been um but yeah. definitely like the Asla Vista baby and come with me if you want to live right right that's pretty good um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I did see as a piece of trivia that um, for his $15 million salary, um, if you break it down by the amount of dialogue that he had in this movie, that um, Asla Visa Baby cost him um, eighty, uh, like $85,000, <laughs> which I just thought was funny. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, funny because like that's, again, so it's memed so much, but there's actually like, it's really heartwarming like the scene that that comes from in a mm-hmm. lot of ways um and we'll sure. talk about that i guess yeah. later but yeah um i had actually forgotten like i've just thought of it so long as being just like a funny catchphrase from that movie that i had forgotten mm-hmm. like actually where it came from so right um it was kind of cool to like I, I i really enjoyed watching this movie again even though i have some some slight issues with it i think like mm-hmm. I, I still thought it was a lot of fun I, feel, yeah. I I do think it feels dated in some way because hmm. there's an element there's an element to the way that Cameron films this movie 
um because cameron was one of the biggest like early adopters of like um digital cinema in terms of like major motion pictures and definitely of like 3d um cinema 3d filming but this movie still feels like very much an early 90s movie in terms of the cinematography um with the exception of the special effects which are just like still like super innovative i think um almost impossible to like downplay like how innovative um the liquid metal and like all the stuff they did in this movie was but yeah so um yeah i i just can't i i, I can't get over the opening of this because the writing's really good too it's crisp mm-hmm. like in the sense of like getting you the exposition that you need <clears throat> even if you haven't seen the first movie to get you into a place where you understand the characters, you know, what's going on. Um, you know, and, um, and like I said, it gets you a really complex story, like in, in 30 minutes for a two hour movie. Um, right. So you get the, you get the recap of, um, Skynet and Cyberdyne. So you understand mm -hmm. that stuff. It explains without any dialogue or clunky like exposition exactly how time travel works mm -hmm. and in, in the sense of like technologically how it works in the sense that you see him like it's a ball of energy that like destroys everything but that nothing else can transfer with it like no other matter so like just the person because he's naked so then later when you see Robert Patrick do it as T-1000 like it makes absolute sense and they don't even need to like they just have to show you the aftermath to really understand it that's actually one of the best scenes in the movie too when um he's introduced and he takes the cops kills the cop and takes mm -hmm. his clothes is the idea that like because it's i i think it's a practical effect but i think it's brilliant when arnold teleports in or time travels in or whatever you want to say with the way that like the ground is is concave and mm -hmm like the tractor trailer has like the whole side but it's like perfectly like scooped out right um so then when you see the fence that's just like glowing on the edges of it like you immediately know and there's like all that tension like oh man like who else did they send from from the from the future right, right. um but yeah you're right like you immediately understand his powers and you know his inability to like basically be harmed mm -hmm. um his ability to assess threats and you know whatever like i mean it's it's a good reintroduction to your point like you don't have needed to have seen the first terminator to really understand like what you're seeing in terms of you know him as a character yeah and it's like and but if you have and that's the thing that happens throughout this movie i think um well at least in in the beginning of it is that you don't have to have seen the first movie, um, but if you have, there's these little like almost like callbacks and Easter eggs that can help your enjoyment of the movie, like, you know, mm -hmm. because you're in on like the meta reference and stuff like that. And um, um, and yeah, like I, I think that's really just really well executed um, in, in the beginning of this movie. Yeah, uh, I agree. So let's get into before we kind of like move on the movie. Um, performance wise um you have like basically like the i guess five principles that i mentioned at the beginning of this podcast but like really the four like you know joe morton shows up later in the um in the movie the four principles 
how do you think they come off like in this movie? Like, um, because I I love Schwarzenegger in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger gets a lot of unfair flack, um, or at least did in the late '80s, early '90s, as kind of being like a one note. You know, he was just there for like his looks kind of thing. Um, I think there's actually some really good nuance to Schwarzenegger's performance in terms of being like completely robotic and mechanical early on um, to being sympathetic and humanized like Mm -hmm. by the end of the movie. And they explain it really well in the sense that he, you know, he talks about like his machine learning and his ability to understand like pain because it helps to avoid like damage and um, just like basically creating him as a father figure for um you know for john connor who doesn't even have a mother figure because the only thing she cares about is him not dying right not like really forming a connection but then also her being humanized through watching the terminator form a bond with her son where she understands that she has to be more human towards her son um and it's another really subtle moment when she kisses him on the forehead like towards the end of the movie when she like he she finds out he's safe it's just a really really good and well done like that was always my the thing i appreciated the most about cameron and what i kind of miss um with the avatar era james cameron is his ability to inject like really good small moments into what are in essence just like large action set piece movies and i think he does it in every movie like small conversations and aliens um i know you don't really like it but there's stuff that happens between schwarzenegger and jamie lee curtis and true lies that's really humanizing and um I, it's it's impressive because the people that were inspired so much by cameron um the people like michael bay and simon west and bruckheimer and all those people um sort of lose sight of like what that how much that means to the movie right where they'll try and do it but they do it as like a a meme or a gimmick like it's Mm -hmm. there the humanization is there for the the tagline and not so much you know it actually build the story whereas cameron's actually trying to make you cameron cameron's very manipulative in terms of like emotional like resonance but he's really trying to get you to form a connection with like those characters and i think he does a good job i know that i just answered your very simple question in like a super long no, way but that's what this is about um so yeah so i think schwarzenegger's great mm-hmm. um i like lyndon hamilton in this movie but i think she's i think it's because of the script and the character she has to play she kind of comes off as like sort of one note a lot of it and that's mm-hmm. not like any kind of criticism of her performance just i mean sarah connor is just somebody that's like deadly focused on nothing but completing her mission um even when she's whatever like locked up yeah and what's interesting as about her is that i was reading because like she's like almost the coldest mom of all time maybe like oh yeah a couple of exceptions and she um that was it feels like from my from my research that's linda hamilton's idea more than it was cameron and wishers like to make her that cold and calculated like she was going to be crazy and 
but like you know organized in a kind of militaristic sense and all those things that like kind of make sarah connor in the future but this idea the emotional aspect was hamilton's idea where she was quoted as saying she wanted the terminator to be a better human than her yeah and she wanted to be a better terminator than than he was um and like she didn't really want to do it unless that's the way it was going to be so a lot of that stuff that um really does go to hamilton for coming up with like the emotional core of that character it seems like which i think is really impressive and uh you know uh, gutsy to like want to put yourself in that position um yeah it's that's that's interesting that she said that because i think that that really is um uh conveyed very well mm -hmm. um in terms of the movie and the scene where you really see it the most is um so they've rescued her they've left they're in the the car that they've stolen and they're driving away and um she leans in the back seat you know ostensibly to give um john connor a hug and that's what he thinks is happening because he kind of like melts a little bit mm -hmm. and all she's doing is basically running her hands over him to check for um like any kind of like injuries or anything mm -hmm. like she's like looking for like like bruises or breaks or whatever right. um right which is and it's brilliant the way it's done because like it really kind of catches you off guard mm -hmm. um when it happens and it really does make her seem like cold and calculating and it did you because i think you said when we we're talking about this last night that you find like the middle of the movie kind of slow yeah and i i guess complaint, i i think i guess i feel the same way but i think that there's i think there's some really great portions there that show that budding father-son relationship between oh sure the terminator and and connor let me just let me just clarify quickly what, what i mean by slow is i think that where it's like i think that first like 30 minutes is like just everything's just solid all the way through like every single scene just works and moves in each other and the middle portion that i think slows down has some of those great moments in it but then it has moments that are just kind of filler to me and not really doing much that much in terms of plot or character um so it's like there's stuff that's just kind of there um yeah i mean okay so i'll give you that like there's stuff when they get to the hacienda or whatever um you could probably cut 20 minutes out of this movie yeah pretty easily and not lose anything at all from the overall um presentation or like import of different yeah. scenes um so but the scene like where you have you know arnold and connor riding in the front seat of the car and like sarah connor just kind of in the back like spacing out it's when they have the hasta la vista mm -hmm. um conversation and mm -hmm. you know john connor's like you, you can't say affirmative like you sound like a dork like this is how you have to talk <laughs> right right and helps to kind of like humanize them um yeah i just i i find all that stuff to be very endearing and mm -hmm. i think that it's actually one of the one of the few times where <clears throat> you take someone that's an absolute villain in one movie and turn them into the hero of the next movie playing the exact same character mm -hmm. um and it's pretty crazy that, like how much you like arnold's terminator by the end of this movie considering how you know unstoppable and like maniacally is in the first movie i mean it's 
one of the better like villain performances of the 80s i think is that terminator character mm-hmm. the t-800 from terminator the first terminator and then like one of the better like hero performances i mean like definitely one of the more like, the, probably the most iconic performance in terms of like an action star of the 90s right i don't even know who else you would put in that conversation with him yeah. um playing a hero by playing the same as that character I mean, it's it, again that I've always thought that Arnold was kind of unfairly maligned just because he's got like the thick accent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a movie, a terrible movie, fucking Jingle All the Way, um, that I love. Mm-hmm. For I don't know, I don't even know why I love it, but I like really love that movie. Um, and his performance is the thing that makes me love it because it's ridiculous and over the top. But there's just like so much investment in that on on his part. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think he's the thing, and I, that's a really ridiculous almost thing to say, because obviously the Terminator is what's driving this movie, but his performance is what really makes this movie as great as it is, I think. Yeah, um, I agree, and I'll, I'll kind of pick up with the fourth part, too, is I, uh, the fourth character, I, I really like Robert Patrick rewatching this as the T-1000 yeah. in terms of the menace that he brings to yep. it. Um, it is... Um, I think for somebody who has very little dialogue overall, like he is, uh, he can still, uh, much like the original Terminator, I guess, in Terminator, the first Terminator, but uh, very little dialogue, but maintains a menace through just kind of like that plastic look that he has. And um, it's almost like he's like, you know, sculpted, but he's like lean and slight. And I remember reading somewhere that it's like, um, it's like uh it's like more like a porsche the t-1000 is like how they thought of it when they were like creating it um if they were like comparing it to cars like where it's like one's like a mercedes benz or something like that and like you know the other one is like a porsche like the t-1000 um and he does have this like sleekness to him um it feels like there's like never an end to the stamina like when he's running and stuff like that the way he like listens and looks it's um very reminiscent of like a predator um right yep. you know in some way like um not the movie necessarily but just like a, you know like a natural predator no, that's a really great way to put it he's got a very um like lupine look to his his the way they the way that he angles his head and then his hair it's mm-hmm. very um like he's like a wolf almost like hunting and but yeah and and he was like it's so crazy he was like living in his car when when he got cast in this um so this like really like blew robert patrick up and like you know and and dude's become like a great character actor over the course of the past 30 years like showing up here and there in different roles um but yeah and like uh definitely and like dude put in tons of work into this movie too in terms of like all the things he had to learn and like all like the working out and stuff like that like every day like um because he wanted to get to a point where he could run on while he's being filmed like long distances and never appear winded um so he got himself in shape enough to where it's like he would never be winded no matter how much he ran um those like like run quickly those like distances 
um yeah. so that the character would never be breathing heavy like whatsoever since like the terminator himself like wouldn't be breathing heavy um which is a lot of damn commitment um but yeah i i i, I love that and um one of my favorite cameos of all time like comedic cameos of all time is wayne's world um is uh when robert patrick makes a cameo is like the t1000 um so it's like yeah but uh yeah i i really like him as well too um in this and uh all right so so it's interesting you're i'm looking at more of an action movie and you're focusing much more on the emotional core of this story so looking at it from that standpoint um how did this ending like the the last like you know kind of like half of this movie like maybe from the dice and stuff on like how does that affect you like and how how did you view that did this still hold up to you yeah i thought it was still really good Mm -hmm. um having since worked in the steel industry i'll tell you that that's pretty ridiculous like watching them in that steel plant um the way that like the way that things happen they would not be able to like exist in where they are with like the molten steel that close because it would be they would die basically um so that's something that just from a personal standpoint i found like kind of like kayfabe Mm -hmm. um but i thought the emotional resonance was still really good i thought that um uh, i think patrick's really great in it i think schwarzenegger's really great in it um, I think that watching Sarah Connor's like facade kind of like crumble um, as she's trying to save her kid, um, it's just really like kind of cool. Um, it's maybe a few minutes too long, I guess, because um, it feels like it goes on forever while they're like stalking each other through the mill and whatever. But the still, a mill fight, yeah, yeah. It, it felt like to me like in that as good as it still is if it just feels like there was like one and i and when i say one i just mean one like one too many times where it's like oh things are going to be okay they're not okay like it just felt like um there was like one instance out of like the five that happened that it was just like okay like can we like can you stop doing this um but uh but yeah it's still like a really entertaining like final fight or whatever it is definitely but going to that, like, you know, um, I remember I teared up when I was a kid watching this movie, like when the T-800, like, sacrifices itself. Um, and even though I cry over, like, everything now, it feels like in movies, um, it didn't it didn't happen to me this time around, um, which is which is interesting. I, I thought it would be more emotionally impactful to me. Yeah, look, I, fucking, sad, but... I, I fucking cried everything and it did not move my heart, yeah. even in the slightest, so yeah yeah um uh it's it's more of actually there's a pause and i don't know if this is from the this is an editing thing or what the closest it came to actually emotionally affecting me is like they 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 pause before the conversation happens where you realize oh shit he's going to have to (laughs) it's almost like a beat it's like it's like a few seconds where it's like allowing the audience to realize what's getting ready to happen or what has to happen before any of it's like actually spoken out loud and it's like that little bit of sinking feeling like 
again, I don't know if that's like an editing choice or what, like it probably is, but um, it's really impactful. It's really well done, I thought. Um, I agree. You, yeah. you get that feeling. Um, all right. Uh, any other things you want to mention about the movie itself? Like the, you. So, I don't know if this is the time to talk about it, but we're going to have to fucking talk about it anyway. Um, I have never thought about the time paradoxes that exist in this movie before I was watching it last night. And I actually had to pause the movie at one point and text our friend Ryan Wellmaker mm-hmm. um, for like 20 minutes straight <laughs> asking him to help me like reconcile myself with the paradoxes in this movie. And we both basically came to the conclusion that you can't think about it and watch this movie at the same time where you just have to kind of like accept that it's there and just right. whatever, like let it go. Um, because it makes no sense from like any logical point of view as to how any of these things could happen. Yeah. I rarely think about that kind of stuff. So can you explain to me like the, the paradox itself? briefly? So in the original movie, the T-800 is sent back to kill Sarah Connor because Sarah Connor gives birth to John Connor, who's the leader of the resistance that ends up being able to take down Skynet. Right. Correct. So, Kyle Reese is sent back by the resistance in order to save Sarah Connor, but Kyle Reese, because he's sent back, ends up being the person that impregnates Sarah Connor to create John Connor in the first place. Mm -hmm. So John Connor. So it's always like a loop. Sent his father. So so that's a a causal loop, I think is what it's called, maybe. All right. So whatever, that's fine. Like I can get past that because that's cool writing and it's sci-fi rough. trope right yeah okay yeah. skynet is created because the arm from the fucking first terminator is taken by cyberdyne mm-hmm. and the the arm in a um microchip or whatever a mm-hmm. processing chip that's cyberdyne then researches and uses to create the tech technology that creates skynet in the first place right Mm -hmm. so hold on because i was really bothered by this last night i have to think about exactly like why it doesn't work so skynet only exists because skynet set a piece of itself back in time right in order to how how did it exist in the first place so how did it exist right it's not well. It's another one of those causal loops or whatever you just talked about, like right. Well, but like, the thing is, is like you almost have to be able to start thinking about alternate universes. Sure. Like, are you then looking at like some separate universe mm-hmm. from? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that doesn't like that's just ridiculous, right? Right. Fuck. There was something that really bothered me about it last night when I was watching it, where I was looking at it and I was thinking, like, oh my god, like this makes literally no sense that this could possibly happen. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so, but time travel is always like really kind of wonky in anything anyway. Like there's very few things that can do time travel in any really relatively understandable or believable way. I mean, to the point where, you know, a TV show that both of us have watched for years, Doctor Who, um, they don't even try and bother to make any sense of the time travel. Sure. 
they just you know half right. explain it away so right um yeah but once once we talked about that and i was like you know what i'm just not going to think about it anymore i guess maybe that's why i can't really remember what my huge problems were <laughs> yeah i i were unless it also doesn't make any sense well i guess so they destroy both the arm and the chip and dyson dies mm-hmm. and the t-1000 and the t-800 are both melted down mm-hmm. so have you seen terminator 3 yes but it's been so long and it's so yeah, bad I, that I don't i don't I remember it very much is t3 the one with um uh christian bale as john connor uh or is that the is fourth it? one that's nick stall isn't it in terminator 3 it is nick stall you're right yeah yeah, hold on. I'm looking at Nick Stahl. Um, Cameron had no involvement. Several years after destroying Cyberdyne, John Connor has been living as a nomad following the death of his mother, Sarah Connor, to hide from malevolent artificial intelligence Skynet, despite a war between humans and machines not happening in 1997 as foretold. Unable to locate John in the past, Skynet sends a TX um, uh, back in time to John's present in Los Angeles to instead kill his future allies in their human resistance. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, I guess Skynet still exists. Like the AI is the is the premise there. I barely remember that movie, even though I saw it like when it came out or whatever. That doesn't make any sense either because Skynet is created yeah. by Cyberdyne, right, right? As the um sure military AI, the whatever like. And then it becomes sentient on what is it? Ah, oh, fuck, man! I just watched that last night too. That date <laughs> is it December first, nineteen ninety-seven, or something like that. Uh, That's kind of becomes sentient. Um, you know who's going? You know who's going to know this shit? It's Easter. <laughs> you get a text tomorrow from Easter telling you exactly. Um, uh, and no, I looked. I I just can't remember. August 29th, nineteen ninety-seven is, is mm, Judgment Day. So it's coming up. I mean, it already happened. But August 29th is coming up, so we can celebrate. I mean, well, <laughs> what day of the week is August 29th? Oh shit, uh, shit, man! Like, come on! Like, I mean, like we could, Judgment Day could happen at any point. Um, it's a Monday. Um, yeah, well, that will be an awful day. <laughs> so, so I mean, kind of to your like, so the ending of this movie, like, you know, that's maybe that's a good time to ask you this. Um, there was. There was an alternate ending film to this where it shows an elderly Sarah sitting in the park uh, telling the story about the Terminator while she watches John play with his daughter and tying his granddaughter's shoes. John's a congressman. It's like, you know, shown and stuff like that. Um, So, like, Cameron decided to not use the ending or replace it with what's called, like, the Unknown Road ending um he wanted the he wanted that ending himself but um after like focus groups uh he was convinced to change it to the unknown road ending um would you rather have been closed off do you think in that way you you should know me well enough you know i'll always i'll always take an ambiguous ending over like Mm. like feed me some kind of pablum shit where because then it leaves it open like so one of the things i was thinking last night and actually because i was really trying to like kayfabe it out to like how does it explain like stuff still happening 
so in the steel mill arnold the t-800 gets his arm stuck in a like a big giant gear and he has to use a piece of like rebar to like basically pry his arm off so he can continue to come after um the t-1000 and pieces of his arm like cycle through the gear and stay in there so i was wondering like because obviously you know so basically what happened in that steel mill is what's called a breakout where the molten steel comes out of the um containers that are supposed to or the things that are supposed to contain it and it spills out on the floor and it causes like a lot of damage and it basically hardens and eventually turns to steel so somebody would have to come in and like see that so i was thinking like well did somebody get a piece of you know his arm that he left behind and because they weren't careful enough and like that's what you know causes them to still right like the future's inevitable because that's the whole thing is like can you really ever change the past right right that's the folly of skynet in the first place is trying to change the past and then mm-hmm. trying to change the past they actually create the future that they're afraid of which again is another thing that's just like a complete like paradox in terms of right right um which, yeah so i don't know yeah i think given what came after this now i would prefer <laughs> The, the the ending that closed things off although at the time i think i like the unknown road ending um better yeah i don't i so i guess i've seen terminator 3 thinking about it now maybe i do definitely remember nick Saul, and i've seen parts you, of the one with christian bale in it i thought which we I guess watched is, that in the theater no you watched it with somebody else it wasn't okay with me. probably ryan then. um and i'm pretty sure i watched the um christian bale one which i think is the fourth one right yeah that's what i'm talking about that's what i said we didn't watch that together mm, that's what if, i'm talking about if we did i have no recollection of that movie yeah. i can remember the poster because it was a terrible poster yeah i think we watched that together um so whatever but i i it's not one of my favorite franchises um and i think i think you asked me or i said last night like these are my top five favorite like adult sci-fi franchises and terminator is definitely not in it um I think the two movies by themselves, if that was all you had, would be fine. Mm-hmm. But I think when it gets beyond that, it's not a very interesting universe. Um, and right. other movies have done the post-apocalyptic um, future better than Terminator. Mm-hmm. So, or than that franchise has done since Terminator Two, I should say. Um, right. So yeah. I don't so know. kind of following up with that a little bit. Um, let's just take these two together where do you think this ranks among sequels uh top like top five top 10 top 20 like what's your instinct there i mean i would argue that it's got to be like a top 10 sequel of all time yeah maybe a top five possibly i mean i'd really have to like I mean, so what do you got? You got Godfather 2, you've right. got Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. um, Temple of Doom, this, Aliens. Right, Aliens, right. Uh, uh, Toy Blade, Story 2, maybe. Blade Runner 2049. Most people aren't going to agree with you with that, but yeah, I get. I take your point. I mean, I think it's a great sequel. I do too. I'm saying most people aren't going to agree with that, though. Well, they're not doing a fucking podcast, are they? 
Um, yes, they are. <laughs> they, they might be. Um, no offense if you're doing a podcast to counteract this podcast, because then we'll have a podcast causal loop. Because which one came first? Um, yeah, Evil Dead Two. Um, probably. Yeah. I'm just looking at a list. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I, I don't agree with that. I know a lot of people think that. Right. I'm just looking at a list here. Oh my God, Prisoner. Oh, Prisoner um, of Azkaban. Like, is on a list. Jesus, awful. Yeah, everybody loves that movie. What? Uh, Road Warrior is a uh, a better sequel than the original. Yeah. Um, Fury Road. Yeah, Fury Road too. I mean, Rathacon is better than the. Yeah. It's like saying that solid boobs better than oh. diarrhea. I mean, it's all got to come at your ass. Fucking Star Trek. So yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, it probably ranks pretty high. Um, and it's, I think it's definitely a movie that is better. And I, I watched last night. I watched the original Terminator just to kind of refresh myself. And um, I think it's better than the original Terminator, even though I still enjoyed the original. Um, and I think it's one of those few sequels that's like better too, or like you know, rather than just being on the same level. Um, so it's weird because like it's funny that you mentioned the original Terminator because this is a James Cameron thing. Like the original Terminator is a sci-fi movie, but that movie's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's legitimately, you know, a stalker. Yeah, it's serial, almost like serial killer, like stalking somebody. And he did the same thing with Alien and Aliens. Like he took what's a horror movie like a sci-fi horror movie and he made an amazing action movie out of it while not losing any of the impact of you know the thing that makes the original cool and i i I love james cameron well he just took over for aliens right because it wasn't that ridley scott that did the first ridley scott made alien yeah yeah, yeah. and then he comes in and And then he makes aliens right right so he takes a movie that's a horror movie and then he makes it as yeah so what you're saying is he kind of like repeats the same thing here like right like it's he's able to go into take a sequel mm -hmm. take the thing that's great about the original movie and then sort of like amplify that into being something greater than just yes right almost like like twisting like bending the genre kind of um yeah, I mean, I I really, I I I would say it's probably a top five sequel of all time. Um, another a little bit off the wall question, but I wanted to get your thoughts on. I was thinking about the day about like how like uh, it's not odd anymore for action movies to potentially get nominated for best picture. Um, nowadays, like, do you think if we had the the same kind of like cultural acceptance like do you think in 91 it's possible like do you think one it's possible that it could if we had the same cultural acceptance and two do you think it deserved to be um so i guess that requires you to pull up maybe the films in 91 to refresh yourself even though we did the top five best um last year yeah i think that if this I don't know. I don't know. I I think that they're still so so full of themselves in terms of like what they want to nominate or you know how they want to be perceived. I, I still don't know if they would nominate this movie. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, so this would be the ninety ninety two Oscars, right? Right for this movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it won four Oscars. Yeah, sure. It just didn't win Best Picture. Right. But I mean, like, um, right, right, right. Yes, you're correct. It, it got nominated. But it got nominated for anything that a movie like this gets nominated for is, like, kind of special effects type things. I All mean, right, so but, Silence, I mean, Silence of the Lambs is still nominated. Um, Beauty, and the, Beauty and the Beast probably does not get nominated for Best Picture anymore. We're probably just nominated for Best Animated. Right. Um, there is no fucking reason why Bugsy's nominated for it, but whatever. I guess people just like goddamn shit ass. <laughs> JFK, Prince of Tides. Uh, I mean, if you take Beauty and the Beast out, maybe you put it in that spot. Yeah. I, I think mean, they... remember there's 10 now, so it's like, you know, I mean, like it's, yeah. I mean, I think I, looking at the movies in 91, I don't see why it, it couldn't have been. Um, I I think there's like I think there's a argument for Cameron to be best director as well. Mm. Oh no, there. definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean Barry Levinson doesn't need to get nominated for Bugsy seriously. No, and and from a directorial standpoint, I I don't know if Ridley Scott needs to get directed for Velma and Louise. Honestly, I mean, yeah, shit, I'd rather I'd rather see Velma and Louise on nominated for best picture as opposed to um him get directed or nominated for director um but yeah um damn they didn't get any actor or actress nominees out of that movie terminator yeah oh then they didn't respect that shit back then like you never got anything from like a sci-fi or action movie like nominated for anything like that um yeah they don't they didn't care about anything with this movie like i said they're just going to give it their oh that's that's a nice little b movie with the, these special effects like that's like you know it's like oh there's the masses like you know paying for their you know movies that don't have any depth to them or whatever i mean that's that's how they and they still think of it i think to some degree like that i mean shit we have all these arguments anymore spawned by scorsese and you know talking about superhero movies and stuff um nominated for cinematography and film editing yeah yeah i mean so here's the thing it won for visual effects it was nominated against backdraft and hook right so right low-key though i do like hook best makeup it won as well um stan winston won um against hook and um star trek look see hook and star trek uh the undiscovered country like yeah um i used to love the undiscovered country here sci-fi geeks will We'll give you some makeup words. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and here's my last question. This is a uh, this is a more broad um, comparing things back then to to now. This was still a really fun movie to watch. I thought mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Do you feel like you have as much fun with movies of this type anymore as you used to? sure yeah like mm-hmm. like but when so like give me a, give me a couple of examples of like movies you think you've had just as much fun scott pilgrim versus the world okay that's, we're talking 15 years ago now at least um like, Psych- psycho gorman okay which was just two years ago right okay. i think is similar in tone and was super fun uh-huh. to watch um yeah. it's comedy okay like do you still get a like fun out of 
like action movies like, yeah like i really enjoy the spider-man okay i find them to be fun movies um the ant-man movies ant-man and ant-man and the wasp the thor movies i found to yeah be a lot i of like fun. i like all those things yeah uh-huh. um and i actually think of the like i enjoyed you know endgame and infinity war and oh yeah um but i don't find them to be like necessarily fun movies i find them to be like thrilling movies thrilling and even emotionally satisfying like to close off those you know stories yeah sure mm-hmm. yeah i it does feel to me that there's like there's something more carefree about watching this than things nowadays to me like everything feels very important so let me ask you this question let me turn the tables on you. Mm. you don't really fall victim to the nostalgia trap much mm-hmm. do you think you're falling victim to it here where you normally wouldn't like that maybe it feels more fun to you because you have the childhood memory of seeing this movie and liking it so much i think it feels maybe I, 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 I can't deny that like necessarily i i don't know um that would make me delve into parts of my psyche that i might not have access to um i hmm. probably compartmentalized it too well um but that's possible um i don't feel the same way i feel about this movie as i do like big trouble in little china like you know where it's like obviously there's some movies that are obviously nostalgia things for me and we've talked about them like you know before don't you think big trouble is a more fun movie than terminator 2 sure yeah i mean just you know because it's not apples to apples but do you do you think i am so uh, so so is and this isn't like you know uh me like coming at you like is it possible then that my um my meter is um so trite (laughs) that it's like um i i measure things in terms of the amount of fun that i have um, with it i i just feel like everything's very like almost like self-important at times today compared like this doesn't feel self-important to me oh it's uh, eh. i don't i don't get that feeling it isn't only because cameron has such a really up until titanic honestly Mm -hmm. is where he loses it but cameron one of the things that's so great about him is he has almost like a childlike Mm -hmm. view of like things so he makes things larger than life and he makes things feel big and special when he films them you know what i mean and i don't think he loses that until he films titanic where he becomes like more pretentious and i think like super emotionally manipulative in oh, terms sure. of because he becomes a hollywood titanic. darling at that point right i mean um but i mean i i i think that there's genuine character building in in terminator 2 to make you feel for john connor and yes. sarah connor and the t-800 i don't feel the same way about titanic i think that rose and jack are cardboard cutouts and it's emotional manipulation to get you to feel a certain way so he can spend a billion dollars sinking his ship because he was obsessed with it you know what i mean like there's got to be a plot there so if the plot is like manipulating you to cry you know when she's letting her fucking lover die off the side of a raft or whatever the fuck um because he couldn't crawl and then you got that fucking celine dion oh my god it's Mm -hmm. it's all just emotional manipulation yeah sure sure i used to sit there and clean that theater and i would hate cleaning that theater because man those people would never leave those auditorium 
those people would sit there forever like while that fucking like was playing and it would make me tear up like every single time because it's it's uh, it's fucking fake i hate titanic but i think up to that point he does definitely have like this very almost like sandbox feel to the way he makes movies like he's got all these toys and he's just putting them in in ways that make sense and like building them together to you know draw your interest and you know make you want to see what happens and i don't know yeah i i I think i maybe i can clarify a little bit more how i feel it feels like legit fun like and i'm not one of these people that like you know um like aiden does like like constantly bitching about marvel and its jokes and stuff like that but like like things in modern movies feel like they're building up often uh, very often to a punchline um like whether it's like in the middle of something to ease tension or something like that where it's like it's it, it you can see like almost the inner workings and the crafting behind it where it's like the punchlines in this when they happen are earned like they're part of the story they're part of the plot um and it's more focus on character and action and I'm not saying that's missing from modern movies but it feels like less orchestrated it does feel more organic and natural to me as I'm watching this than watching some more modern movies not all modern movies obviously but more I mean, modern yeah. movies at times I'll, I'll, I'll give that to you because again James Cameron is creating a, a narrative and wants to make a movie that flows and makes sense and a lot of that modern stuff especially the Marvel shit is more about point to point to hit it like a set piece or get a pop or whatever yeah right yeah (laughs) but a lot of that are earned here yeah but i'll tell you that a lot of that is the fault of terminator too because it starts with like shit like are you 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 saying there's like almost like a like a loop or something yeah it's like a causality or something so you don't like true lies as much as i think i, I like don't true but lies. you're gonna make me watch true lies at some point someday again I, I'll, I don't I'll know reassess what, it i don't know what list that makes it 90s the, action yeah maybe I, I don't know if it makes that list the thing with true lies is that true lies is a step down from terminator 2 because it's more about the moment to moment like here's the big scene you know here's the punchline. here's the pop or whatever um and then it just gets worse from there. I mean, like, you have stuff like Eraser, which is another Schwarzenegger vehicle. Right. Um, so, and then, when you get into the real, like, big blockbusters, which I guess is probably the Star Wars franchise in the late 90s. Um, sure. And then there's kind of a lull in terms of, like, and shit like Independence Day and whatever, but then there's, like, a lull. And Independence Day is the king of that. You know, the scene to scene like where you're not really building yes you just got some swelling music and some um, you know quippy repeatable punchlines and big action right um and the marvel movies are just kind of perfected that which is why when you find a movie that actually has a lot of soul to it in my opinion like the ant-man movies and um ragnarok and uh, armageddon's late 90s um oh armageddon is so again to my point you have people that were inspired by cameron so michael bay and simon west and jerry bruckheimer who are making these movies and don't understand 
what makes Terminator 2 so great. They just see the action set pieces. Because Armageddon is a manipulative movie too. Like it's 100% oh, manipulating your emotions to try and add, try and cover what at its core is a very boring film, honestly. Because Armageddon is a fucking terrible movie. One of the worst Criterion Collection releases ever. Just FYI. Um, whereas Terminator 2 is legitimately like a good movie. Like you're, you know you feel like it's fun because you care about the characters and you're still enjoying yourself and it still is impressive to watch, you know? I feel like I can get lost in Terminator 2. Like, I, because I'm older now and, like, I'm watching this to talk about it on a podcast, I have a more critical eye when I'm watching it. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's something I put on a screen and get lost in where it's, like, a lot of... Not all, because there's movies I love, like, from the past, like, 10 years, like, watching them, like, action movies... But a lot of them, it's like that critical mind is still going, and and I'll never get lost in them, like, at all. Um, but it's like, it feels like T2, and maybe it's a difference in age, maybe that's the thing. It's like, I still do have those nostalgic memories of getting lost in this movie in the theater um, all those years ago. Like, maybe you're right. Um, but it just feels like this, something like this, because there's character development, because there's like you know this action that's going on like it feels like i could get lost in this easier than i could say like you know even some of the marvel movies where it's like i'm still like kind of constantly thinking about the critical mind still going like you know like where it's like i'm paying attention to the writing i'm paying attention to the direction i'm paying attention to you know like this and that um like yeah i I mean i have trouble turning off my I have less trouble turning off my brain now than I did when I was younger. When I was younger, I had a lot of trouble, like, not getting bogged down in, like, the minutia. And the only time this really happened to me recently is really with TV, like, with the book of, or the, not book of Obi-Wan, but the Obi-Wan series on Disney+. Plus. Like, there's certain things there where I just couldn't, like, turn off my mind towards what I was seeing, but anymore with like popcorn movies and stuff you know like eh, yeah that's, whatever. A, that's what i maybe i'm thinking of yeah you know i can just sit here and so i've been watching a lot of a lot like probably like 10 to 12 a week of low budget horror movies from the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. um much more than i've ever watched before and i'm watching like shit that i didn't even know existed at this point point. Mm-hmm. and what i'm finding is that like and maybe it's part of just whatever like these movies is that i'm not being as critical about them Mm. and i'm much more open to the experience of it than i ever would have been and i always loved horror movies but i definitely like the stuff that has i always like the stuff that has some like pretension or import that's why i like argento so much Mm -hmm. um but now i can watch something that's like completely goofy and just like really enjoy it and i'm fine with it hell maybe someday i'll actually enjoy um comedies you know (laughs) right um can't you just turn your mind off and just enjoy the movie um yeah somebody maybe. said that to me with lord of the rings once yeah no, somebody, they didn't. i'm uh, sorry with, with 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 king kong because everyone thought that they were so smart watching lord uh, of the rings gotcha. um yeah that was also said to us about the village um um as well to, to the two of us um many i enjoy the village you know i know I, I don't. I like, we, you we, we got into, the other night, and we I got into remember. an argument over whether you could predict the twist or not, or whether you were oh. thinking about the twist. 
Well, because of course, because we, we were criticized. We were criticized for thinking about the twist while we were watching it. Why do? Why can't you just turn your mind off and just enjoy the movie? Oh, that's like a it. stupid point. Okay, I do remember that. And that was really dumb. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, Aaron. And Bledsoe. Um, he was, eh, I don't want to say on fuck that you, too. Bledsoe. <laughs> I'm just saying Bledsoe was in on it too. So can't can't cherry pick your your accusers. How do? You, um, but how do you not like? I know. I, I I never got it, but it sounds like you're working towards like trying to trying to get in that mindset of just, yeah. But like I said, like I had to have a twenty some minute conversation with Orion to like, and I still was thinking about it. I just really, I just decided I didn't care. Right, right, right. I made a conscious decision to not care. I didn't stop thinking. I was still thinking like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I get in discussions all the time here at home about that kind of stuff because here's, so okay, so fucking 15, 16 years later, here's my rebuttal to that stupid ass argument. Shyamalan's whole gimmick is yes. a gimmick. Like his whole thing is that oh, what's the twist? And at that point, you have Sixth Sense, you have Unbreakable, and you have Signs. Yes, it's Signs before the Village, yes. right? Yep. So the whole thing is like oh, what's the Shyamalan twist? Sure. So he wants you to think about the twist. Right. So shut the fuck up. Wait, like if I'm that, watching, that point was made all those years ago too. So it's you. You know what it was. Here, here's the real truth. And I'm gonna like. I hope Bledsoe listens to this. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna dime him out right now. Yeah. <laughs> the real truth is that Bledsoe and Aaron got mad because we guessed the twist, and they didn't guess the twist, and nobody wanted to admit like, oh well, I didn't like somebody guessed the twist and I didn't because then like somehow you're emasculated because we happen to like be able to make like fucking abstract connections better than other people and like then it's like oh well you know i turned my mind off i was just watching the movie to enjoy it like you can't enjoy a movie but you know what fucking uh, fucking <laughs> sour sour fucking grapes that's what it is uh, this would be an interesting conversation to rehash 18 years later at some point uh, <laughs> frank throwing down the gauntlet um I mean, I think that's true. Like, I didn't think about it at the time, but I, I, I believe that's accurate. <laughs> fucking jealousy, you know? Like, and so you, so you can't, you know, fucking guess things or make suppositions that happen to come be correct. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I've had people that have told me like, uh, that there are certain things they don't think about. Like, we get in this argument, not argument, like conversation, like all the time. It's like, you know, where I'll bring something up from a movie or something like that, um, or a TV series. And, uh, you know, my wife will just sit there and go, like, oh, yeah, I was just watching. I didn't really, like, you know, like, because some think people about are, that. have different analytic mindsets. It's, yeah. You know, well, right. She would get, like, obsessed with, like, like uh problems like time travel and stuff like that you know yeah. like um where i don't give a fuck about any of that because it's all fucking fake um like it's like it doesn't like it doesn't doesn't like enter my brain like the like give too much thought to that unless it really fucks with the plot um like, well maybe that's why she likes star trek because she doesn't actually care about what she's watching like she hates the mirror universe like in star trek like i know like i don't even know what that is oh is that a thing there. it is I'll, I'll explain. i don't want you to i'm I, <laughs> I i that's it's it's enough you know what the mirror universe is Come i on. mean i can guess i don't right. know i know what the twilight or the um it's 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 the it's the goatee it's the evil person has a goatee oh a right right from. right yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah um yeah now i can't remember what it's called the fucking superman's um secret prison the 
Oh, uh, not the Twilight Zone. It's the freaking Phantom Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get down with the right. Phantom Zone. Yeah, give me, give me some goddamn Zod. <laughs> uh, all right, if we're if we're on to Zod, then that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> like, well, let's stand and talk about Terminator Two. <laughs> so, there's one one more thing that I wanted to talk about, and I kind yeah. of was trying to get to this, but then we got off topic. Yeah. Um. So as I was watching it, I was I was noticing certain things, and we've talked about this before. That I'm not really big on like doing research about directors or artists, or like I kind of don't want to know like right. things about people. Sure. But I was wondering if you've ever read anything with Carpenter talking or with Cameron talking about his influences, and if his influences include Carpenter, Spielberg, and Lucas, because there are definitely things in this movie. Number one, I think that completely the T-1000 is an homage to the thing um, in terms of the way that he films it, in terms of the way that he does the body mutilation and manipulation um, and the way that he can change forms and is kind of like hidden in plain sight. Like, I firmly believe that that's 100% influenced by Carpenter. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of the action sequences are pulled from oh fuck what movie was i thinking what's some early 80s spielberg shit god damn it there was one movie in particular where i was like oh my god like that's directly pulled or one segment where i was like that's directly pulled from some spielberg movie hold on i gotta look now god damn it why can't i just get a fucking list Um, I don't know what it was now. Close Encounter? <laughs> Let's not be pedantic. It's the Sugarland Express. No, I, I can't remember. <laughs> um, But definitely stuff in the way that he films things. It feels very like Spielbergian and, you know, like pulled from like Lucas um, in the Star Wars movies. And I was just wondering yeah. if there's ever any, because it makes absolute sense from like a sci-fi perspective for both spielberg and lucas um and i'm i'm telling you like i know he's a i know he's a big fan of um uh kubrick um james cameron but i don't know if that's like you know i think everybody of that certain age is a big fan of kubrick but um i mean definitely the way the t the t-1000 moves i really feel and I think it's I, I think there's even like a very like definite homage to the thing when um the T eight hundred shoots him with the grenade launcher at the end mm-hmm. and blows him in half and then mm-hmm. he falls into the lava. Like the way that his body is contorted is very much like the way the thing contorts when it comes out of um what's his name's body, um you know, towards like the middle latter half of that movie. So yeah, top five favorite films I did find here: Wizard of Oz, um, Doctor Strange, Love, two thousand and one, uh, The Godfather, and Taxi Driver. Um, what a fucking neckbeard! Uh, what is this? Uh, let's see here. Wizard of Oz. That is the worst answer. Here's a. <laughs> Here's a Reddit thread. Uh, James Cameron working on this set of carpenters escape from new york and i believe he is heavily influenced by carpenter 
Um, the Terminator is very similar to Halloween in terms of plot of visuals. It's essentially Halloween with a cyborg with many scenes in Cameron's film similar to the ones in Carpenter's film. Um, T-1000 clearly influenced by Carpenter. Oh, yeah, the th- um, Carpenter and uh, Baden's The Thing. Um, huh. Yeah, so there's... Vindication! Ah, now we get in the episode. All right. <laughs> I'll have to read more about that James Cameron on the set of Escape from New York. I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, the the thing that really made me think it was um. Ah, there's some time when he morphs like early on, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like that really feels like like directly pulled from from the thing. Yeah. And then it was especially at the end. I was like, "Oh my god!" I know I'm right. Yeah. But then I didn't feel like looking at anything, and I just went to sleep. So, right, I'll have to read more into it. But I figured you had done all the research. So I was like, oh yeah, blah blah blah. But then you didn't. Between, do that, so. I'm not doing that kind of deep research, Frank. Like you know, I need mm-hmm. to. We, uh, I'll, I'll the, do it if people start paying me. You're the <laughs> professor, professor. I'm all, I'm all fucking, I'm all fucking it over here, you know, and just like pouring shit out. <laughs> right, exactly. See, <laughs> wish I was drunk. <laughs> all right well um that's terminator 2 uh and uh yeah so uh i have no idea where this is going to fall um we're just kind of like recording these as we think of them uh to kind of like fill in some gaps throughout the year and give ourselves a little bit of a break so really in a lot of ways if you've made it this far in the episode you're kind of like living in the terminator world because <laughs> this right. has come this has come from the past to the future yes you know right it's kind of the opposite of terminator right. we've, yes. we've come we've come from the past to entertain you or something yes. i don't know right unless you're listening to this in um, the past which is crazy uh, no what if they're listening oh. to what if they're listening to it like way in the future what if somebody like listens to this in like three years i guess we're still coming from the past it's three, it's three years way in the future right I won't even be 50 in three years. I could be dead, but... Do you know Arnold was only fi- was like 50 when he did this? I was wondering how old he was. Um, I, I really didn't want to look at anything about this movie, but I was yeah. really impressed by how good he looked. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, for being, like, the early 90s, like, he still looks really young. And then I was trying to think, like, when did he start? But I guess it was, like, early 70s, right? When he was doing the bodybuilding stuff? Uh, I think that's right, or late 60s, even. Um, He, um... Uh, let's see we're all here here real quick I just that means that he was like 40 when he was doing conan uh, yeah and when he did the first terminator yeah he was born in um 1950 no. uh, why is that not easily accessible there it is uh 47 hmm. he's born in 1947 so he was um uh so yeah he was shit uh Oh, so he no, he's even older than that. He's like 54, 54 here. 50, 53 probably. Um, when he does this movie. So yeah, he's in his early fifties, which is crazy. What's your favorite song on the Use Your Illusion album? Uh, like considering one and two is the same thing. For both of them? Um Oh geez. Let me 
quickly refresh myself with a track list. Um, okay, there's a contender. And User Illusion 2 was like the one I listened to much more of. Um, is that the one with um, November Rain? No, actually, November Rain is on one. Two is the blue, blue, um, blue cover. Um, that's why I missed two more. Ah, uh, I think it's Civil War, maybe. Hmm, that's a good answer. I think it's Civil War. I like their cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door. Um, I mean, I really like You Could Be Mine, um, a lot as well. Um, I mean, November Rains is decent. Um, I like it. Uh, oh, you know what? I actually like Live and Let Die. Their cover that's, of Live Let Die more than, um, um that's the, answer. The, the Dylan cover. Um, Live and Let Die is on. Yeah, that's my favorite thing that's on, on the first one. Live and Let Die is one. Yeah. And then Don't Cry is one B. Yeah, Don't Cry is a good song. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then I'll give you Civil Wars, like the third. Yeah. Um, and then you could be mine. Yeah. With your bitch slap rapping in your cocaine tongue. You, you, you get nothing done? Right. You get nothing done. Oh, you could be mine. Mm. That got away from me. <laughs> yeah. You always have a good, uh, like, uh, kind of. Uh, caricature, like you know, of Axel like, Rose. Because you know. <laughs> I, was, I was practicing by accident because somebody <laughs> said something on Wednesday, and I was like, Come on, I want to watch you bleed. <laughs> you have, like, um, I guess what the in like the way he enunciates, like, kind of down, but it's like it's it's so whiny, like, it becomes like a characterization, like, you know. Oh, it's an absolute like mockery character. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely a character of his voice. Yeah. Right. Oh, all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, check us out. Uh, Frank gets to watch sometime in here near future. Um, who knows when you'll be hearing this? But uh, Natural Born Killers at some point. So I'm sorry, <laughs> super excited. Uh, it's free on Netflix now on July 1st. Yes, um, from the past or future, <laughs> maybe right. depending on when you're listening to this. No, it's never gonna be you don't see you don't know you don't i don't know. i don't right who knows how like things will go like when cern activates like their shit again here soon like you know we'll be in another timeline and like you know we'll be looping all over the fucking place maybe right. what's gonna happen is one of our listeners is gonna be involved in some kind of time travel catastrophe and they're gonna have the podcast downloaded on their iphone that they're gonna take back into the past where they then become the king of the world because they have an iPhone in like 1984. And our podcast is going to be playing, talking about Terminator 2, and James Cameron's going to be like, hey, that's a good idea. There and you go. We're going to make Terminator 2. So we've just created a paradox. Good job. You're welcome, James Cameron. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for listening, everybody. You are welcome. Deuces.